So, so as we go to the Word, I invite you to pray with me. Let's, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know that the desires of our hearts is that we would know you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, and that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we would understand the hope to which you have called us, the glorious riches of the inheritance in your saints, and that incomparably great power for us who believe. And it's that power was the same mighty strength you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms. God, would you give us that kind of wisdom and revelation in who you are and who you're calling us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said, this is uh, welcome to Center Point Church, and if you weren't with us last week, uh, we rolled out uh, a new name for our worshiping body. So welcome to Center Point Church. Our lead pastor, Jamie Dykstra, uh, laid out some history for us and took us all the way back to 1877 when we were West Branch Church, and then in 1889 when we rebranded to become First Reformed Church of Sioux Center, Iowa. And then in 2017, we took on another congregation, Haywarden Community Church closed, that became Granite Church. And so here we are at this season in the life of our congregation as Centerpoint Church. And I thought Jamie did a beautiful job of explaining to us our mission. So our mission is to know Christ, to grow together, to reach beyond ourselves, to help others do, to do the same, all for the sake of this one thing, that we would make Christ known. That's why we exist as a collection of people. We exist to make Christ known in this world. Today, we're going to spend a little time building on that mission and understand uh, that God is calling us to an emerging future, which is known as a vision. God has a vision for the church. Vision provides us with a, with a sense of the future. It shows us what success might look like. Without vision, it's possible that you've heard that the people will perish. Vision calls us as followers of Jesus to increasingly look like him. Do we know who Jesus is? Do we do the things that Jesus does? Do we love the people that Jesus loved? And are we calling others to do the same? Are we on mission with Jesus? Because here's the thing about our lives and our faith. It's true in our faith, but it's true in everything we do. We hit what we aim at. Does that make sense to you? If you're looking at something or if you're engaged in a practice... If you, don't, if you aim widely, you're going to hit widely. But if you aim small, you might hit your target. Vision is necessary. It's also pretty biblical. If, if God felt that it was necessary uh, in the Bible to cast and to share vision with us, is it not important to us too? So, like I said, you've likely heard the phrase that where there is no vision, the people perish in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. But there's another way of saying this. 
Another way would be that where there is no prophetic utterance, where God is not speaking, where God is not given some direction, there's utter chaos. And God has always called God's people to follow his lead. It's God who provides a vision, and it's through God's vision, through God's word, that we, the people of God, discern vision. It's, it's through God's word that we're able to see and understand where it is that God is leading us as God's people. But in another translation of this text, I would hold this up for you. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained and wild. Where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained and wild. And our God is not a wild God. Our God is a God of order. God took things that were chaotic and put them into order. Our God is not a God of chaos. Chaos is our doing. Yeah, I mean, we created chaos in the fall. But God has given us a clear sense of what he desires for us. And God has gone to great lengths to enable us to not be unrestrained and wild. If only we would lean into the vision that God lays out for us in the scriptures. And finally, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage also speaks to us today. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. God gives us everything we need to know in God's word. And when we don't see God's vision, we do whatever we want rather than what it is that God has for us to do. When there's no divine revelation, when there's no prophetic utterance for, for us to understand we make serious mistakes. We miss it. It's called sin. So we need a vision to drive the bus. We need vision to, to, to be the thing that charts our course and sets us on a trajectory. It's true in everyday life, too, right? All the things we do, if you play games, if you play sports, if you're involved in anything like that, you have to aim. Think about darts or pool basketball or football, if, if you've ever had any coaching in these kinds of activities, something you are often taught is this. Aim small and miss small. That means in, instead of aiming at the entire rim when Christian Vieter rises up for a jump shot, he's looking at that, for that little thing that's in between three things that hold the net together. We're aiming at something in particular so that we can actually make a shot. Now, I'm no farmer, and I don't profess to be one, but I think it's true in farming as well. The things we take aim at, we hit. So if we, if we go too deep in our planting or if we're too shallow, it's going to cost us a lot of money, yeah? So we need to aim and hit the target to which it is we're shooting. Or how about... Uh, maybe the first place where I really became aware of the power of vision um, was from somebody named Betty Crocker. Anybody know Betty Crocker? Or, or Betty Crocker set the stage for this person, um, Joanna Gaines in Magnolia Table. I mean, th don't those potatoes look to be the most glorious thing you've ever seen? 
I mean, it proceeds to the Taste of Home magazine. We get these in my house. Yes, we're still printed material people um, in our house. And, and, and I would contend that those things set the stage for Pinterest. And don't you know that Pinterest casts visions for all kinds of things that happen over the course of our lives, from tattoos to lawns to food. Now, I love to grill, and we love to entertain. It's one of the things we're good at. And so we'll have people over from time to time, and on this particular night, uh, my wife uh, had an idea. And so she, she found this thing in Pinterest. They were bacon-wrapped pineapple burgers. Voila. Show me the picture. There they are. Don't they look fantastic? And so here we are. We get this, we have this vision of, of what it is that we're going to serve to people. But in my brain, I'm like, how is this going to happen? Because um, things uh, that, that have grease ignite a fire. And when an open flame and things are greasy and dripping, it's inevitable. So like a good sport, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm allowed to cook inside but not outside. Does that make sense to anybody? Are there any other guys who have that responsibility? You get to cook outside but not inside? So anyway, I'm about to grill and I say yes to this uh, seemingly disastrous approach. Kathy creates these patties. She puts the pineapple slice on there, and you can contend with me later if you like pineapple or not. That's fine. I love pineapple and bacon. What could go wrong? Except when I get these patties, the toothpicks are stuck on the top of the burger. Now, if you've ever grilled or had to flip anything, you know that this is not going to end well. So, you saw the picture of what the burger is supposed to look like. Here's what I prepared. Boom. <laughs> Isn't that something? One, one of my friends, uh, she posted this on Facebook then to embarrass me whenever it was that this happened. Uh, you know, you have food porn on the one side, and then you have what I created on the other side. So last week I had to go back because I wanted the, I wanted the picture that's on my right, the, the nasty one that I prepared. I had to go back to try to find the original or the one on Pinterest that it was supposed to look like. And what do you suppose I found on Pinterest? I found on Pinterest the, the way that you actually do this. And the burger is laid out on a sheet, like on a sheet pan. And, and then the pineapple is put on, and then you wrap the bacon over, and you put it in the oven. <laughs> you don't grill this. It's necessary to understand what it is we're trying to produce. What's the end result, and where are we going? Because I didn't know. I mean, I had an idea, but I didn't really know how to get there. Vision helps us understand how to get where it is that's, that God is leading us. Pinterest aside. At Centerpoint, at Centerpoint Church, our, our vision is, is simply this. 
that we want to reach young families and beyond with gospel-centered truth for the head and heart that transforms lives and impacts our communities and beyond for Christ, especially those who are new to town and far from Jesus. I mean, Jesus is our center and, and the point of everything that we do. This is what we're aiming at, reaching young families and beyond with gospel-centered truth for the head and for the heart that transforms lives and impacts our communities and beyond for Christ, especially those who are new to town and far from Jesus. And as I say that, I need to reiterate something that I heard Pastor Jamie say last week. So as we, as we get to a point of clarity around our vision and what it is that God's calling us to, and as we've worked with this consultant to understand ourselves a little bit better, it's true that there, there are some who may, in our previous vision, have felt as though we turned our back on you. And we want to repent of that and say we're sorry. Because it was not, it was not the intent and... It's what happened. No matter how inadvertent it was, that's a problem. And this is true. You belong here. I hope that that was clear to you last week. And if, it was, if you were not with us last week, this is what's true today. You belong here. And this isn't our final destination. We get to walk with you that you might navigate a step closer to the person and that we would navigate together to be the people that Jesus has called and created us to be. So we're casting a net at Centerpoint Church. We're casting a net in the hopes of reaching a 35-year-old, healthy, middle-class, college-educated family with kids. These people are in the bullseye. This is the target as we cast our net. Now, I didn't say we're shooting with a rifle or with a bow and arrow because when we shoot that way, we're going to simply hit the bullseye or hit exactly what it is we're aiming at. But today, what I want you to understand is everyone is on the target. You're all on the target. There happens to be the bullseye, the young families that it is that we're aiming at. Because again, if we, we hit what we aim at, and I'm not in the target. I'm not 35. I don't have young kids. But that's what we're, these are the people that we're aimed at. And we all get to play a part because we're all on the target. Why? Why is everyone on the target? How can you say that, Pastor? That doesn't make sense to me. I can feel you thinking that. And I'm going to hold up for you. It's because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said so, uh, we want to look at two different parables this morning. Two different parables. One found in Matthew chapter 18, the other found in Luke chapter 15. And again, Pastor Jamie hit on these a little bit last week, but we want to take a little closer look. So here, these words from Matthew 18, they'll be on the, on the screen for you. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, 
He will not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Matthew 18 begins with the disciples fighting about who would be the greatest. Then Jesus explains the need for childlike faith, and Matthew makes another transition to dealing with temptations to sin, and he culminates his chapter, uh, this chapter in Matthew 18, with the way to exercise discipline in a parable about unforgiving servants. And smack dab in the middle of those four little stories, Jesus drills down on the one. He makes really clear who the one is for him. When you hear of the parable of the lost sheep, or as my Bible would head it, the parable of the wandering sheep, who do you typically believe the, the one to be? Who, who is that person in your mind? Because in Matthew's gospel, the focus is on the one. The little ones. They might be children. They might be the poor among us, the poor in spirit, the hurt, the downhard, the downtrodden, the crushed. But they're also um, immature or underdeveloped Christians. There's, they are people who are already here. They're people in the midst of us. And for Matthew, the one is the, the, the one is the statistically insignificant one. The one is the statistically insignificant one. But the statistically insignificant one means everything to Jesus. You see, the statistically significant ones are the 99, but that insignificant one is everything to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you feel insignificant. And if so, if you feel insignificant, you matter to Jesus. The one in Matthew's telling of this parable is the weak and wandering Christian, not lost non-Christians. The one may be sitting next to you, Maybe you are here today and, and you're dying on the vine. Life is running at you at a pace that you can't stand. You have pain. You have doubts. Maybe you doubt that God even loves you. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last week, and she was in so much pain in their worship experience that day, and she's so angry at God that she couldn't take it, and she got up and she left. can be true of us we can be so angry we can be so um, hurt and feeling so much pain that we don't know that God actually still loves us and so listen the one isn't out there the one is in here and perhaps you've been the one I would contend we've all been the one perhaps you are the one and if that's true I want you to understand, you belong here. This is a place for you. 
And God loves you deeply. God loves you. He sent his only son into the world for you. God loves you. And God wants to call you back into a, a deeper, more intentional relationship with him so that you understand who it is that God has created you to be. But let's compare that then with the Luke 15 text. Here's how Luke tells the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So while Matthew was concerned about the little ones, and the way Jesus labors to extend grace to wandering believers, Luke has a different emphasis. Luke, his purpose is God's infinite love for people who are not part of God's family yet. They're for people who aren't here yet. Notice the posture of the religious leaders in, in this parable. They're muttering, the text tells us. They're standing around complaining about who Jesus was spending time with. They grumbled loud enough that the owners heard them, and they were angry that Jesus was so kind as to both receive and accept these people who were on the outside, who they thought should be on the outside, that they somehow missed it. They forgot that they were once the one. And notice the posture of the shepherd. The sheep in the story are not in a pen where they belong, where they would be most safe. They're out in the open country, and the statistical significance of their number keeps them safe. But the one who wanders away, the one who leaves to go on his own path, that one is not safe. And so the shepherd goes after that one. And he doesn't give, give up. He, he keeps looking until he finds a sheep. The shepherd's love for that lost sheep is a persevering love. The, that love renewed his effort to, to find the lost one. And when he finds that sheep, Wow, right? I mean, the reaction is pretty powerful. He doesn't kick the sheep like the dog who ran away. Instead, he picks up the sheep and he puts him on his shoulders and he carries him back to the rest of the herd. The shepherd drapes him in such a way to express his love and his care. And finally, notice the heavenly celebration. For, for Luke... The celebration is not necessarily about sinful people being valued more than righteous people, but instead, the celebration is in keeping with the proverb that says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. This is what the celebration is for. Rescue those who are being taken away to death Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. The heavenly hosts in Luke 15 celebrate repentance. 
Here's the thing about repentance. It's simply a turning from one thing and going in another direction. And and I would contend for you that it's a turning away and going to the direction of the cross. While the two parables might focus on a different one, the aim is the same. The one being restored and redeemed for all that God has for him. And again, you might be the one. Maybe you're visiting here today and you're not sure why you're here. Maybe you were the one. Maybe you still are the one. And as we live into and out of this clarified vision of being all about the ones, we no longer assume that everyone and everything is okay. We have work to do together to know Christ, to grow together, to reach beyond ourselves and teach others to do the same. We have work to do to make Christ known. And so we reach young families and beyond with gospel-centered truth for the head and the heart that transforms lives and impacts our communities and beyond for the sake of Christ, particularly those who are new to town and far from Jesus. Now, earlier in this gospel, Matthew called this, this kind of living, uh, producing faith that is in the keeping with repentance. It happens as we cast a wide net to hit all the ones. It happens when we aim small. Our vision is all about those who are already here who need to be discipled in what it looks like to follow Jesus. Our, and, it's, it's a big and, and we are about the one who is not here yet. New to town and far from Jesus, people who are in desperate need of the gospel, whether they know it or not, these are all the ones. Jesus is our center and the point of everything we do. And Jesus has given us this vision to be about the one, the one in our church who is wandering, who needs discipling, and the one who is not yet in our church who needs salvation and discipleship. I hope, as I've been talking, that maybe you've located yourself in one of these positions. Because when we have a message like this, we often get to this point where we say, Okay, now what? What are we going to do with this information? We can't just hear what God has to say about this. We also must do something. When we understand that God's calling us forth to to reach new people, the ones among us, we get to get into action. And so if you find yourself in the story as the one who is within the church and you are wandering... Will you please let us know? Raise your hand. Let us know on your connector card. It's this thing that's in your worship guide. Let us know on your connector card that that you want to get about this thing of being discipled and growing more intently with Jesus. We can give you tools to do that. And if you're here today and you think you are in a place where you can walk with folks in, in search of someone to disciple them, raise your hand. I can meet a need 
On one hand, we, we are asking people, if you have a need, let us know. And then we need people who are willing to meet a need to go on a journey with them. This is how you can raise your hand today. And if you're here today for the very first time, maybe you're here and you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, let's have a conversation. Find me after worship. I want to talk with you. These aren't hoops to jump through. There aren't any, friends. You just have to surrender your life to Jesus and allow him to have his way. Allow Jesus to have his way with you. And because we're no longer willing to assume that everyone and everything is okay, individually and as a church, we are encouraged to do for the one what you would want to do for everyone. Do for the one what you would want to do for everyone. The question Jamie left us with last week was simply this. Who is your one? And I want to reiterate the question today. Who is your one? Who's sitting next to you that you know their pain, but you've resisted stepping into it? Who's the person you work with or you go to school with that isn't yet in a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't know how to have that kind of a conversation, let's talk. But if you do and your eyes are open and you see them, would you, friends, do for the one what you want to do for everyone? Let's make Christ known together. Let's pray.